Good morning, everyone. It's Monday morning and it's 10 a.m. We are doing the Sicha from Chelek Yudches on Chukaz Bolak, Yudbeis Yudgimel Tamus. And we are learning in the Schos of Rafor Shlema Farav Yosef Yitzchak Ben Sima Chasia. Seif Aleph. Kvar Huskar Kama Bechama Poomim, Maimar Hashala. The Rebbe says we have already mentioned many, many times what the Shala HaKadosh taught. Shekol Mayade Hashana, Afilu Mayade Drabanan, Yeshlohim Kesher Leparshias Hatera Shebehen Him Chalim. That every holiday, that every festival, every Yom Tov, even the Yom Tovim of Rabbanan, like Hanukkah, Purim, and as we're going to see, the Rebbe includes the, the Hasidish Yom Tovim, that they have a connection to the parshas that are read in that week that the Yom Tov falls out. So according to this rule, to this axiom, we understand that the Chag HaGaula, the day of redemption, and that was the day that the Rebbe's father-in-law, the Frederick Rebbe, went out of his of, of imprisonment and exile in a definitive way, because last week we did a sicha that spoke about Gimel Tamuz, and on that day, the Rebbe was freed from prison, but he was sent to Kostroma in exile. Yudbeis Gimel Tamuz is the definitive uh, freedom, and, and therefore there is there is certainly a connection between Yudbeis Gimel Tamuz and the content of the parshias that we read this coming Shabbos, Chukas Balak. And the Rebbe says, And there are actually three points of connection between the upcoming parsha of this week and Yudbezu Gimel Tamos. There's Aleph Hashaychus, the Parshas Chukas. There's first of all the connection to Parshas Chukas. Bay, secondly, Hashaychus, the Parshas Balak. There's the connection between the saga of the Fritigaba being freed and Parshas Balak. And then, thirdly, Gimel Hashaychus, the Bay's Parshas Yachad. And then there's the connection between Yubezu Gimel Tamos and both Parshas as they are presented to us as one. Because, as explained multiple times, when two parshias are joined and they are read together on a particular Shabbos, it's a unity that makes them one parsha. It's not just that you're taking two parshas and you're lumping them together because of pragmatic reasons. You have to finish all the parshas in a given cycle, but rather that the two parshas become one. And in parentheses, the Rebbe kind of bolsters this thesis by saying, because you divide the two parshas to seven different aliyas, not 14. 
And at the end, when you read Chukas and Balak together in Shul, Ein Karim Ela Haftarah Achas. And you only read one Haftarah. And there are other things that um, would further solidify this thesis that when you read two Parshas, they become one Parsha. And therefore, it's understood that in addition to the content of each parsha by itself, chukas by itself and balak by itself, there is a shared content in both of these parshas. And because of the content that is shared between the two, they can actually be put together. In other words, we know we have to have a certain amount of parshas in order to finish the yearly cycle, but the Rebbe taught often why take these particular parshas and put them together? Because there's something about these two parshas that actually belong together. And so the connection that the Rebbe is going to teach between the Chaga Golu Yerbezu Gimotamos and Chukas Bolok is not just a connection to Chukas by itself and not just a connection to Bolok by itself, but a connection to the shared content of Chukas Bolok. As underscored in the year that the Sicha was taught, was, 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 was given over that Yudbeis Tamas was actually on Parshas Chukas Bolok. Beis. Shema shel ha-parsha harishayna hu-chukas. The name of the first parsha is chukas. Ha-toichen ha-pashut shel chukahu. What's the simple understanding of chukah? Tzivui she'en le'ishum tam. This is a commandment that doesn't have a logical reason. V'anu mekaimim ha-yisei rak mepnei she'chukah ha-kakti gazer gazarti she'zehu ratzen Hashem. And we observe this commandment simply because, in the words of Rashi, this is a statute that I have commanded. This is an edict that I have commanded. And this is the, this is the Ratzon Hashem. This is the will of God. But we don't understand really the content of the mitzvah. Uba Vedas Ha'adam. And zooming out what is the idea of a chayk in the general avoda of a Jew? That the idea of a chayk, more broadly, is the idea of self-sacrifice, which is higher than cognition. It's higher than logic. Because our seichel fuels our ability to do things that contribute to who we are. They contribute to bringing our, us, ourselves to fulfillment, to fruition, and so on and so forth. But not to, to go on Messias Nefesh and even basically throw your life away. In other words, Messias Nefesh is the opposite of what Seichel would, would indicate. Because Seichel is all about what can we do 
to strengthen ourselves, to make ourselves more complete. And Mesir's Nefesh is all about saying, it's not about me. I'm ready to obviate the self. And Hasidus explains why it is that Mesir's Nefesh is not spoken of in in, in um, manifest manner in Tereh In other words, yes, you could find delusions, but why isn't there something in Tereh that speaks to the idea of Mesir Nefesh? What does Hasidus explain? Because in, in Hasidic parlance, Tereh is the, is the modality of Chachma. Mesir's nefesh transcends chachma. It transcends logic. It transcends anything we can understand. So this is the connection between the idea of parshas chukas, which which is all about chayk, which transcends logic, and yud beis yud gimel tamos, which is all about mesir's nefesh. The whole Avaida, all of the work, all of the overtures of the Friedrich Rebbe, the Bal HaGeula V'Hasimcha, the one who was redeemed and the one whom we are celebrating in his spreading of Torah, in his promulgating of Torah, in that note, the Rebbe says, in that country, doesn't even want to say Russia, and, and it is for this reason that they imprisoned him. His whole Aveda was in the modality of Chukas. It was all about self sacrifice that transcends logic. He stood by himself. And he countered the edicts of a government that was strong and vicious. And this was in a time where in that country, it was almost impossible to ever leave the borders of that country. And still in all, and despite all of this, the Friedrich Rebbe did not factor in all of the difficulties and all of the impediments and all of the dangers. And he worked to spread Torah and to spread Yiddishkeit with Messias Nefesh. Gimel. Now here, the Rebbe deepens the connection between Yudbeis Yud Gimel Tamos and the Parsha of Chukas. Shem ha-Parsha al Piminag Yisrael hulei Chukas ha-Toira ela Chukas stam. According to Minag Yisrael, the first name of the Parshas that are coming this Shabbos is Chukas. But it's not Chukas ha-Toira, like Lech Lecha, or other parshias that are two words. It's particularly chukas and not chukas atayr. And the Rebbe says we might say the reason for this is as follows. Ha-chuka de para aduma, shabba'a isekas ha-parsha, 
which which chayk specifically does this parsha speak of? It speaks about para aduma. This particular chayk nivdeles gam bishar hachukim biyesa yotzeis legamre migedra seichav hasaga. In the category of chukim, this particular chayk is distinguished from all the others because it totally transcends the whole rubric of, of human intellect and cognition. Until even Shleim HaMelech, who is known as the wisest of all men, Omar Al-Kol Ela Marati, I try to understand all of the Chokim, but when it came to Paraduma, Amarti Kamimeni. I said I'm going to try to understand, but I realize that it eludes me. The understanding is too far for me. I can't grasp it. So within Chukim in general, the Paraduma stands out. This is also the understanding of that word Zeus. It's interesting that the Torah should say, this is the chayk of the Torah. There's a lot of chukim in the Torah. Why would, it, why would it say this in the singular? Because it's teaching us that this is the only chayk of all the chukim in the Torah that even relevant to other chukim, he amitas inin This is the true. This is the quintessential chayk. This is the um, exhibit A of all chukim that are higher than the whole idea of sechem. And now we can understand why the minute is to call this parsha chukas and not chukas Although the very term chayk means that we're talking about a category that transcends sechel. Harigam sechel adam maskim shalala adam loy lismaich al sechlei bilvad. So the Rebbe says that in Chukim itself, there's two subcategories. There's a category of Chukim that although it's higher than the Seichel, but the Seichel of a person can agree that we should subserviate ourselves and we should do certain things that we can't understand because we can't understand everything. But those are chukim that we can't understand, but they're also not antithetical to, to Seichel. So they don't repudiate Seichel. They don't go against Seichel. And so a person can conjure a little bit of humility and say, okay, I'm going to do these things, although they transcend my ability to understand them, but I understand that there's a reason that I can't understand. Masha came, but in contradistinction, para aduma, 
when you talk about the paraduma, he bedargas chuka she'en lo kol achiza b'seichel. But paraduma has no connection at all to seichel. Elohi hefach haseichel, but rather it represents a commandment that is antithetical to seichel. And um, usually, this is this is explained in the following way: that what's what's completely antithetical to seichel is that when administering the, the potient of the para aduma to purify someone, so the person who was impure became purified. But the person who did the purifying became impure. The koyin the koy became impure. And this is bechlal, like the Rebbe says, ein achiza b'seichel. <laughs> There's no way to, to understand this at all in seichel. This is the opposite of It's higher even than the modality of Chachma and Seichel in Torah. And this kind of Chaik. And so this kind of Chaik can only be observed. You see, it's one thing for a person to do something they don't understand. All intelligent people hopefully understand that there is a limitation to their intelligence, and therefore there may be things they don't understand. And so al piseichel, they might do things they don't understand. Actually, we do this all the time. If unless you're a physician and you have the subspecialty of the physician that you're visiting, you're you're going to accept the protocol or the medications that that the doctor prescribes, although you don't understand the reasoning. So that's something we do all the time. But to do something that's the opposite of Seichel, that takes bitel, self-abnegation. And in Dalit, the Rebbe says, al in like fashion, yeshnam beiz oifanim b'mesiras nefesh. So the Rebbe already set down that a chayk, more broadly, is the idea of mesiras nefesh. Now he told us there are two categories in Chukim themselves, Paraduma being the poster child for that higher level of Chayk, which is antithetical to human intellect. And the Rebbe says the same thing is in Mesir's Nefesh. Yeshna Bechina B'Mesir's Nefesh There is a modality in Mesir's Nefesh that is calculated. Yes, yes, it's a holy calculation, but it's a calculation. But it's still, it's a cheshbon, it's a calculation. Before a person engages in Mesiris Nefesh, so first he looks into the Shulchan Aruch and he studies whether this is something for which you have to have Mesir's Nefesh. So this would be in line, this is in consonance with the idea of Chukas HaTayra. This is Mesir's Nefesh that is called for as per the commandments and the rubrics of Torah. This would be a Mesiris Nefesh that is called for based on a person's holy Chachma 
and uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, um, holy seichel and, and holy cognition. And because this is mysterious nefesh that comes through a calculation, albeit a holy calculation, therefore it's a mysterious nefesh that's going to have very specific borders and parameters. Then there's a second modality in mysterious nefesh. This is a mysterious nefesh that comes from a place where a person doesn't make any calculations at all. There are no metrics. This is not In other words, this is not a mysterious nefesh that's called for alpidin. It's higher than that. It's chukastam. It's higher than Because this Mesiris Nefesh comes from the very source and the very roots of the essence of the soul of the Jew. And we know that the source <coughs> and the roots of a Jew are higher than the source of the Torah. like Chazal taught us, B'nei Yisrael arose in God's thought process before anything else. Even before Hashem's thought of the Torah. And because of this essential connection between a Jew and Hashem that transcends even the Torah. And so the desire to serve Hashem with Messias Nefesh that arises in the source of the Jew is higher than any parameter, it's higher than any um, calculation, it's higher than any uh, borders. There's no limitation. And it was this higher level of Messias Nefesh, without a cheshben, without any parameters, without a limit, that was the Messias Nefesh of the Baal HaGu'ula, the Friedrich Rebbe. Hey, the Fidik Rebbe's work to promulgate Torah and, and, and Yahados and Yiddishkeit was spread over many different arenas and many, many wide rubrics. Shlichas Rabbanim v'sheichatim. He sent Rabbanim to different places. He sent sheichatim to different places. to places that didn't have a rabbi, that didn't have a sheichat. B'niyas mikvois. He, he sent shluchim to build mikvois. Yisod yeshivas l'bachurim. He founded yeshivas for bachurim. Talmudei ter l'tinaikashal beis rabban. He founded schools for young children. In other words, he didn't have a concentration in one subspecialty, but it was <clears throat> very wide. 
But the main edict of the government against him and the main reason that he was imprisoned the main gezer against him was not for the work that he did with adults. But in the main, it was because of his devotion to education for very young children. And despite the great dangers, he did not reckon with the dangers. He cast himself into this work, Dafka, this particular work, with tremendous passion and tremendous enthusiasm, and with great expansiveness. And seemingly, there's, there's room to ask. Yes, we understand that the Fetik Rebbe had to do this work. It was necessary. But why would the Fetik Rebbe engage himself in work that Alpisechel and Alpiteva would not yield any success? Lichaira, seemingly, Mutav Hoyalis Asig, Bavoidus Harbatus Hatari Baifen, Shayakhoila Lies Boy, Hatzlacha Gam Alpiteva. Logic would dictate that he should have concentrated his work in an area where naturally there would be more success. And not endanger all of his work for something that would not seem to be an area where he could see success. In other words, Vredegeba surely knew that by engaging in this work, he was antagonizing the government and that they could shut him down. So why wouldn't he make a logical calculation since his work is so fraught with danger and it's so tenuous, could be shut down at any moment. So it would seem that it would make more sense for him to concentrate his effort in something where he could see greater success. And in what we're talking about now, it's even a greater wonder. And here we're not just talking about a logical cheshman. We're talking about a halachic cheshman. How do you endanger work that is necessary for people who have a chiyuv because they're over barbas mitzvah by doing work that is l'chayra seemingly for young children who don't have a chiyot. So halachically, forget about logically, if it's a toss-up between bolstering yahados, Yiddishkeit, for, for b'nei chiyuva, for those who have an obligation and those who don't, wouldn't you choose those who do? 
And in answer, we might say the following. That the Aveda of the Fetik Rebbe was in the modality of the quintessential chayk. Mesiris nefesh l'loi kol cheshbonis. A mesiris nefesh that transcends calculation. Biyadai eshlichusai. He knew, he certainly knew that he was the Nasi. He certainly knew that he had an obligation to all of Klal Yisrael. And he knew that this dependent, that this depended on young children learning Torah. And like Chazal, if you don't have kids, you won't have goats. In other words, if you don't educate the very young children, so who will be the adults to speak to later? Al-Kain, therefore, he invested himself through formidable Messias Nefesh, live noise, to build and to strengthen for very young children. And, and, and we see that the, that the Rebbe had the same the same passion for camps and, and um, release time and Mesibas Shabbos and all of these things for children. And so somebody might ask, It would seem that because of what was going on in the former Soviet Union, this wouldn't last very long. So even if you want to say that you have to invest in the young children because they are the future, they are the, the full-grown goats of tomorrow, you have to teach the kids but it's not going to last very long. It, it, it's so fleeting. Yes, the Rebbe says, you're right. If you would have been doing this according to calculations, even according to calculations of Torah, you would have said, this is not worth endangering people's lives over what? The Talmud Torah is going to be operating for a week. It's going to operate for a few days. But because the Fetik Rebbe's Messias Nefesh was at higher level Messias Nefesh, this is a Messias Nefesh that calculation can't touch. On this level, you don't calculate <clears throat> if the person who's doing this will be saved, if it will be efficacious or not, if it will be successful. No, because the whole calculation is given over Tashem. And in the brackets, the Rebbe brings us back to a story. These three great Nevi'im and their interaction with the Nebuchadnezzar. And they 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 posited, if they're going to be zaycha, 
Hashem is going to save them, as we know Hashem did. And if Hashem doesn't save them, either way, they're not going to bow down to Avedazar. And even if they're not going to be saved, this is so important for each one of us. We're not Nevi'im and we're not facing this kind of test. But, but the Rebbe is teaching us that, that what, 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 what is he saying here? He's saying that Nebuchadnezzar or any other force does not have the choice and does not have the authority to kill us, as it were. They didn't have the choice or the authority to kill Hanan and Mishal Bazaya. Elam Eis Hashem Yatsahadavar. This is only up to Hashem. Unavuchanetzar Eina Eloshlia Hashem Lakayim says. So the Kayach and the and the Rishus is not given to anybody else but the Abishra. So we have to stick to our guns. And even if it's going to anger somebody or some entity or whatever, they don't have the koyach over us. They don't have the rishos over us. That comes from the Evishter. So the Rebbe said that this was a Friedrich Rebbe's lack of cheshbon. That he has to do what he has to do. What's going to happen if it's going to be successful, if the government is going to shut it down. Um, very... Um, Poignantly, um, Mrs. Futterfoss uh, told a story years ago um, that, you know, we everybody knows there was this famous cohort of Hasidim that, that the Fritikabe made uh, a covenant with. And one of them, their job was to set up mikvahs. And somebody once asked the Rebbe, you're, you're you're endangering this person, I mean, he could sit in Golis away from his family for, for who knows how many years to build a mikveh that as soon as the authorities find it, we know what they're going to do. They're just going to pour a whole bunch of cement into it and they're going to shut down the mikveh. And the Friedrich Rebbe said that if one woman is toivel one time, one woman is toivel one time, it's worth everything. Vav. This level of Messias Nefesh, this Messias Nefesh of Chukas, not Chukas Atayra, Chukas, was seen throughout all the years of the Fitik Rebbe's Nesias, his, his leadership. Lamit Shnois Nesias, he was the Nasi for 30 years. And these 30 years are subdivided into three, <clears throat> three 10-year categories. In the approximately first 10 years, the Friedrich Rebbe, during the first 10 years, approximately engaged in spreading Torah and Yiddishkeit in a situation <clears throat> of danger, quite literally. We don't have to dwell on that. Everybody knows. Bitkufa Habez, 
in the second era, the second 10 years, Haya b'medina shaba hisgayru rabim achenu b'nei Yisrael, in the second 10 years, the Vitagabba was in Poland. And there the Rebbe explains there lived many, many Jews. And it would have been very fertile ground for spreading Hasidus in a very, very expansive way among that population. Aval but the Fitikab's work there was very limited. Shesibasan Haisa, and the reason for those um, complications and limitations was because the other Rebbes of the other Hasidus and the other leaders uh, were envious of the Fitik Rebbe's reach, the Fitik Rebbe's stature. But still, the Fritz Rebbe knew Asher Va'aviv Shamar Es Hadavar. The Rebbe is, of course, using the reappropriating, I guess we would say, the words of the Pasuk and the story about Yosef and his brothers. So Yosef knew what he knew. The Fritz Rebbe knew Va'aviv Shamar Es Hadavar, that the Abishter is watching this whole thing. Sha'af Sham Hitil Olavakadish Baruchu Es Hashlichos so despite the fact that the Fetikapa was suffering from, uh, from all kinds of impediments and limitations that came from a lack of, of love for him, at least on a manifest level, still he worked on this level of Messiris Nefesh to spread Taira and Hasidus. It was a different kind of Messiris Nefesh. It wasn't the literal, practical Messiris Nefesh of Russia. It was a, a terribly difficult Messiris Nefesh emotionally and, and psychologically and, and also practically in terms of the limitations that it placed on, on what he wanted to do. Hatkufa Hagimel and the third era was in America, um, which is often referred to as this lower part of the globe. And in case you're wondering how that is, because the Americas don't appear on the lower end of the globe, but I don't know. I tried to look this up. Who set the globe up? Who set it on its axis as we have it today? But if you put Israel on top, if you put Yerushalayim on top of the globe, then the Americas are on the lower end. And this was not a, a place where there were people during Matan Taira. And so it's referred to as the lower part of the globe. And this was a place where for, for many, many years, there was this kind of unwritten rule that America is different. That in America, God forbid, you can't comport yourself the way a Jew is truly and completely supposed to act. And when the Fritikaba was here in America, he had to fight against a formidable stream 
that was going in a particular direction, and he had to seed Taira and Chasidus in a place where at least externally it did not appear that this was fertile ground for the Fetik Rebbe's overtures. Zion. Ka'amor said. The whole Gimel Hat Kufa is Nidrisha Avoidashal Messiah's Nevish Bilti Mugbelas. Elashabhold Kufa, Hayazeba Ifen Bifne Atzmai. As already said, the Vitigab engaged in a Messiah's Nefesh that was without any limitation in all three of these eras, but each one necessitated a different modality. You can't compare the latter two eras, the Messias Nefesh that was necessary then, with the Messias Nefesh of the first. Why? First of all, first of all, it was comprised of actual Messias Nefesh. We know this. You did certain things, you could get killed, or you could be sent to who knows where for 10 or 15 or 20 years. The Yisera Mizu, but here's, but here's more, more than that, harder than that. It's not just the Fetik Rebbe endangered his own life. That would have been the easier part. But it necessitated endangering his shluchim. And to him, Hare Messiris Nefesh Kazu, this kind of Messiris Nefesh, Lahamid Yehudi Acherbisakana, to endanger another Jew. This was much, much more difficult. And this was a much deeper type of Messias Nefesh than putting himself in danger. And on top of this, And there were times where these Shluchim were found and they were executed they were commuted by the government to exile and to great suffering. The Afal came, and nevertheless, Lamacharas, the next day, Hayatzarik Lamait Shuv Bitnua Shalmasiras Nefesh, the Livkar Adam, the Lashalchai Lamale Ismokim, Hashliach Shahugla. And the next day, the Fitkeva would have to get up and find somebody else to send to fulfill the Shlichas of the one who had just been sent to exile. Omnam. However, Le'idach, on the other side, Bitkufa, on, on the other hand, Bitkufa Habez, Hayakoshi Acher, Ubemuvan Misuyam Afhamur Mehakoidem. Could you believe it? The, the Rebbe says, but the second era, there was a different difficulty. And in a certain way, you could say it was even more difficult. What could be more difficult than engaging in work that is life-threatening or even more having to endanger the life of your chassidim and your shluchim? But the Rebbe says, 
in a way, it was even harder. When he had to stand up against the complaints and what was being said by his brothers, in quotes, meaning other from Hasidish Yidin. Why is he doing like this? Why not differently? Why does Hasidus teach like this? And why does Hasidus not teach this way? And nevertheless, he continued, And in a way, this is harder than, than what he did in Russia and needed a deeper type of Messias Nefesh. It's one thing to go up against Gentiles that hate Jews. <laughs> you know, halacha We know, I mean, this is just the way the world is. But to go up against your compatriots, Yidin, other Hasidim. And then there was a completely different type of Messias Nefesh in the third era. In this third era in America, it was about standing up against the zeitgeist, against the cultural milieu, and to not back down in the face of those who mocked him and impeded his work and blocked his overtures. And despite all the difficulties that he met in America, he did not satisfy himself with building up his Dalit Amas, his own court. In this case, it would mean he did not satisfy himself with building up the remnants of Lubavitch, the Anias Nafshi Salti, just saving himself and his court. He could have, he would have been right. He could have said, I can't fight the whole world. I, you can't fight City Hall. I'm just going to take what we have and I'm going to build it. And by the way, that was definitely the MO of all of the other Hasidic groups, right? To insulate and isolate and circle the wagon and rebuild from the remnants, from the Sheres Hapleta. But Fita Gabbard didn't do this. But he threw all of his strength and all of his work into rebuilding the country entire to change the face of the Jewish landscape in America. This was not about just Chabad Lubavitch. Ches. Alpiteva Naturally, you would not expect one person to be able to bring the same level of Messias Nefesh, the same level of passion, the same level of interest to such different rubrics. We know from ourselves, right? We have things that we enjoy doing more than others. And the things that we enjoy, we naturally bring a, a different level of 
interest and passion and enthusiasm. And then there are things we have to do and we get them done because we're responsible people and we need to do them. Rebbe says, naturally, it's it's not really a thing that you bring the same level, Monsieur Snefesh, to such different, you know, um, areas of life or modalities of service. Because it's natural that something that you have an affection for and you have a pull, you have a yen in that direction, you're going to have more Monsieur Snefesh for that. You're going to invest more. How is it possible for one person to bring that same level of unlimited Monsieur Snefesh to all of this Avoida and to bring it in equal measure? And the explanation, the answer to this is because by the Baal Hayulula, by the Baal, I'm sorry, by the Baal Hagula, by the Fitigar Rebbe, there was illuminated in him this essential Messias Nefesh that comes from the essence of the Neshama. The entirety of the Fitik Rebbe was Messias Nefesh. That's what he was. Messias Nefesh. That was his whole Mahus. And therefore, So it was about substance. It wasn't about form. Because he was about Messias Nefesh, the Messias Nefesh took many different forms. But it didn't matter. It was unmitigated in its potency. He brought that same essential Messias Nefesh to any and every Avoida that he had to engage in. Okay. This was all to explain the connection between Yudbezi Gimel Tamas to Chukas. Now, in Si'iv Tess, the Rebbe explains the connection with Balak. And what's the connection between Chag HaGeula and Parshas Bolok? Bevor Bedivrei Chazal, Chazal teaches, Shabolok sona es Yisrael yoyser mikol soinim. That Bolok's hatred for the Jews was a deeper hatred than any of our other enemies, which is to say <laughs> it was very, very, very deep. And therefore, he schemed to harm B'nai Yisrael. Even though B'nai Yisrael were not permitted by their tire, by their God, to inherit his land, and they were specifically commanded don't start up with them. B'nai Yisrael were specifically commanded not to engage in war 
not to harm them. But he still hated us. He simply could not stand our existence. And even more, and even after he tried and he saw he could not accomplish anything in fighting B'nai Yisrael, he really went through a tremendous amount of effort, the heavy olav adam acher bilam, the cholzeis k'day lahazik Yisrael, And he engaged Bilam, the prophet, and all of this because he had this burning, unmitigated desire to harm B'nai Yisrael. What was the great tircha that he engaged in? Bilam at first said he wouldn't come. So Balak had to keep upping the ante and offering him greater and greater and greater amounts of money. That's a lot of effort to engage in against a people who posed no risk to him at all. We posed no danger. Because Hashem said, you can't start up with them. And this is exactly what the Rebbe says, what my father-in-law faced. His efforts in promulgating Torah in consonance with what he wrote, how he described it in his famous letter for Yudbeis Tamos, what he was doing was legal. It was legal according to the laws of the former Soviet Union. And his imprisonment and his exile was caused by those who you know um they were malshin they uh, helped me somebody uh they informed on him because they desired to avenge one who keeps the Torah of Moshe and Israel which is allegedly against the laws of the land but on the book it was legal this is to say, because these people couldn't stand a Jew who was a Yerushalayim. They went through great effort. Actually, they had to concoct a case against the Fidik Rebbe because what, he, what the Fidik Rebbe was doing was on the books okay with the government. So they had to, they actually went against the laws of the government by informing on him. And this was all, this was all in order to disturb and to impede the Fidegab's work. So I could see, Khani on your face that uh, you're wondering exactly what this means. And I have to tell you that I'm not sure. I I I am I think it means that on the books it was permitted to to keep your religion. 
um, he, the Fritz Kemper was allowed to do what he was doing on the books, even though on the street, that was not the way they were acting towards people. So the people who informed on him were actually going against the legalities. I'm sure there's a lot more to this, and I just don't know what it is. Anybody who Tsipa uh, saying, Dina is saying, yes, that's how communism marketed themselves. Yeah, it was a big thing when I was reading, remember years ago, the Fidegrab is constantly trying to like teach the Hasidim what your legal rights are. Because the legal rights were different than what the people that were arresting you were. Like the KGB, they weren't the, they're like the new government. They were like the takeover, they took over the government. The czar that came before the NKVD was from a different, right? I mean, I, I'm you. like, that's what I understand, but memories. I'm sure there's more, yeah. I mean, I think From this reading. is why they, thank you, Tsipa, thank you, Dina. I think that's why they kept open, like, the Marina Russia shul throughout all the years, because they needed to, like, have exhibit A of a synagogue. Like, they, they, it was lip service, of course, but legally, this was the case. And I think there was also one mikvah that was kept open for the same reason. Of course, if you went there, you were endangering yourself because they had spies there, they had informants and so on and so forth. This was part of the propaganda. That's why the old people were allowed to go to shul, like the senior citizens are allowed to go because they're not the working class. It was like a whole system. Thank you. Thank you. Kalaimar. Oh, no, we did that. And just like in the end, what Balak wanted and what Bilam did, didn't come to fruition. Not only that he didn't curse this, this nation, not only did that not happen, but on the contrary, but hiring Bilam actually brought about a whole new level of bracha for Bnei Yisrael. And it happened through Bilam himself. And he hated Bnei Yisrael even more than Balak. And what kind of brachas? The most exalted type of brachas. And we see the fruition of these words that Hashem will change curses into blessings. And the same thing we find regarding the Fritik Rebbe. And note how the Rebbe keeps referring to it as the Bal HaGeula V'Hasimcha. That those very same people that imprisoned him they themselves were forced to engage in his emancipation and his freedom until they themselves engaged in, 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 in not only that he should be freed, but that he should be able to leave the Soviet Union. Yud. After this, so first the Rebbe explained the connection between the Chag HaGeula and Parshas Chukas. Then he explained the connection between the Chag HaGeula and Parshas Bolok. 
that this was a sinner, this was a hatred that transcended logic. And that just like Bullock ended up being the one who gave us the biggest brachas, those that imprisoned the Friedrich Rebbe were the ones who were forced to engage in freeing him and even in, in, in his leave-taking from the Soviet Union. Now we have to explain, the Rebbe is going to explain the connection between Yubayshut Gimel Tamos and Hukas Balak as they are one Parsha. And, of course, a lesson for each one of us. And we might say the explanation is as follows. In the opposition that Balak showed to Bnei Yisrael, Maybe we could find a way of understanding why he hated Bnei Yisrael so much. And in his own words, This nation is going to consume this whole area like an ox consumes all the grass of a field. And then all of Mayev are going to live in a state of fright and intimidation, like it says by Yagar Mayev So this is not a good idea. You know, reading this is a little bit reminiscent of um, the many fights against Eruv in many, many different areas, really, because people were afraid that from people are going to move in and it's going to be like an ox consumes all the grass of, of the field. I mean, that that's really what their fear is, right? But there is a more profound opposition to Bnei Yisrael. That is not just the fear of Balak, but comes in the modality of Chukas Balak together. What does this mean? Sin of Hisnagdos Liloi Sechel Vatan. There's a hatred and there's an opposition to Bnei Yisrael that transcends any logical understanding at all. And that's the inning of Chukas. Because Balak, even though it's true, that there was a, a Hashem commanded the Jews not to take over their land, but there was still a, a logical reason to hate B'nai Yisrael. And that would be that B'nai Yisrael was still, still going to be the superpower in the area. And they didn't want Mayev to live in constant fear and intimidation of B'nai Yisrael. But there's a more profound type of hatred. And that's the type of hatred that is alluded to in Chukas. Yes, Sarol Not only is there no logical reason for this, not only is there no reason to, to hate B'nai Yisrael, but actually it contravenes logic to start up with them, to harm them, because it's clear that it will not be successful. And that's exactly what happened in the story with Balak and Bilam. He knew that he's not going to be successful. He was a prophet. 
And he heard Hashem say, Don't curse this nation because they are blessed. It was clear to him that he was going to be inefficacious. He was not going to be able to curse this nation. And like he originally said to Balak, like, I'm not going to be able to go against what Hashem says. Whatever Hashem puts in my mouth, I'm going to say. So he knew this. Logically, he knew that he wasn't going to be able to accomplish anything. And notwithstanding this, because of his essential hatred for the Jews. That was translogical. He could not control himself. And he tried. He tried to do whatever he could to curse the Jews. And this is true in every person's avoidah. Like the Fitzgerald explains in the Maimer, so this is talking, of course, about the Maimer of, of Basilagani, that there's this idea of shtus deklipa, illogical actions, that's lower than logic. You know you shouldn't do this. Logically, you shouldn't do this, but you can control yourself. You just keep eating or you just keep whatever doing something that it doesn't make any sense. Like things that people do just because that's what everybody does. It doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It's not healthy. It's not prudent, whatever. But that's what people do. <laughs> the Rebbe says, this is like a chayk that you cannot veer from it. You can't move it. The Rebbe says, like, for instance, the fact that people have to eat at certain times. People have to sleep at certain times. It's like a chayk. Chayk v'lo yavon. You're not going to move it. I have to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner. I have to go to sleep at a certain time. In the main, the Rebbe says, people don't play around with these chukim. You don't play around with these statutes. You don't, you don't play around with this. You understand there's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You understand there's a bedtime, and so on and so forth. But when it comes to setting up times of Taira and Tefillah and Davening, these can be pushed off. These don't have to be set. Sometimes they're pushed off altogether. The Rebbe says this is not logical. It's not logical to push off Zmani Tfila, to push off Zmani Ha But through the Avoida of Chukas, 
engaging in things that are translogical for Kedusha, Shalemaila Mitam Vadas, Kefisha Bimvar Bimaymer Sham, like the Fritikab explains in that in, in Basilogani, Mahavchim es Hashtus de Klipa Lashtus Kedusha. You transform the Shtus of Klipa to holy Shtus. Yudalif. Ba'oifin Zed, Chukas Balag, Haisagam, Haisnagdus Labal Hagaula. So the opposition to the Fetik Rebbe followed this same style or format of Chukas Balak, of trans-rational obstinance. Kiedua, as is known, Lulav, Echad Mishnei HaYehudim She'asruhu, one of two Jews that were engaged in the imprisonment of the Fetik Rebbe, Ratsa Lasis as Khafits of Shahik Marichami Admar. Baamroi Hasidim Nishorim Hasidim. Sabi Nasas as Khitza Shal Sabhim Vani Esas Khafitzrim. Lulav at one point said to Fitigreba, I wanna I wanna carry your things for you. Hasidim always remain Hasidim. My grandfather carried your grandfather's things, I'm going to carry your things. And at a later opportunity, Lulav, in what today we would call a Freudian slip, addressed the Fidik Rebbe as Rebbe. This is like what the what the what the Rebbe said Al Misha Hilshin Olav about somebody that informed on him, that his mouth made him stumble. Sheniflat Mipiv, it fell out of his mouth like a Freudian slip. What in his innermost recesses of his heart and his consciousness, he understands and recognizes his truth. That's why he called him Chabib, because he understood that's the truth. And so it is in what we're discussing. The way that Lulav expressed himself and the, the, what he said came, it was drawn forth from his, the innermost recesses of his heart where he knew the truth. And not and not and withstand notwithstanding this, So even though Lulav knew the truth. And especially the Fritik Rebbe warned him that if he did what he was doing, he was going to end up having a life of Yisurim. And in fact, that's what happened, that those that imprisoned the Fritik Rebbe were themselves commuted by, by the government. Asa lulav masha asa, still and all, he engaged in what he did. He did this from a place of opposition that was below logic. 
So this comportment of chukas, of Asir's nefesh, that transcends logic, that, that was the essence of the Fritika Rebbe, Mesir's nefesh this Mesir's nefesh that transcended any and all logic, bitla es kol haisnagdus ba'efin kazeh, ka'omor bahafteris parashasenu, it obviated and it completely negated all of the opposition in a way that is described in the Haftar for this Parsha, where all of your enemies recognize your greatness. Until they themselves were forced to be the ones who um, brought the Fritik Rebbe to freedom. And so they themselves were engaged in adding a new yamtiv for, for the Jews. And this will bring that the entire month of Tammuz will be transformed to a time of joy and happiness and holidays, and may this be Bekar of Mamish immediately. Amen. Amen. That's the Sikha for today. And, Thank uh, you. Anybody Can I you a, bring? A yeah, Sipa. Um, so I remember like years ago reading A Prince in Prison or, in, or, you know, or from Lakut de Burim, how the Frida Graber talks to Lulav. And he's really, really, really harsh. I don't have it here to remember the words, but I remember at the time thinking, how did he speak to another Jew this way? Because it's like, your grandfather was a chassid, but you're not. And your grandfather served my grandfather, but you don't. And it's like really surprising, especially like coming from a modern understanding of like the way the Rebbe looked at every Jew, et cetera, that this is how the Friedrich Rebbe spoke to a Jew. And then I figured maybe I just don't understand the cultural sensitivity, but I started to like have that question last week when you taught the Sicha and again this week. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm not saying this is correct, and please, everybody, anybody, please jump in. But the thing that comes to my mind is, you know, the famous thing that the Rebbe always kacht that, that the Rambam says that with a recalcitrant husband that doesn't want to give his wife a get, you beat him up till he, till he says, right, Sa'ani, I want. I, that, that the Rambam just said that a husband has to give the get fully and independently. What's the answer? That a yid wants to do the right thing. And so when you're beating him, you're not, you're, you're, you're freeing him. So the first thing that comes to my mind is that the Fidig Rebbe had to beat him up, as it were, in the hopes that he would be able to free his etzim and he would and he would do what he really wants to do <clears throat> deep, deep down. Um, the other thing is, and, and I'm really, I'm just repeating things I've heard from others because I definitely was not around um, physically. And also I am not in a position to judge these kinds of things, but I think it's probably something that people who study <clears throat> the Torah of the Fidig Rebbe in depth and, and maybe not even in such depth and, and look at, at our Rebbe's work, you could see that there's a different Tnua, that the Fidig Rebbe was much more a Tnua of Kivura, 
and and our Rebbe was was much more the Tanua of Chesed in the main. It does now. It's not to say obviously that the, that 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 the Friedrich Rebbe didn't have Chesed or it, it, an enormous amount of love and so on and so forth. We're talking about like a way of expressing, a way of writing, a way of like I, for instance, just to take one example, like the Friedrich Rebbe spoke to a generation that were slacking, let's say, in in observance of mikvah, and um, and and very very harsh things that the Friedrich Rebbe said could come upon people who who don't do this mitzvah. You don't find that kind of lushan in the Rebbe's writing. So, like you said, it's a different time. It's a different, um, maybe even demographic. And and different and also different spiritual cheshbonos that we can't ever know. But I don't know if that's helpful to you. But maybe other people have different ideas. I don't have an answer to this at all. But I'm troubled. But not troubled. I'm question. I, I I'm trying to relate to the concept that the Friedrich Rebbe was able through such a high level of mysterious nefesh to send others to very serious danger, you know, life and life-threatening danger. I, I'm, in, in my head, it's like this mysterious nefesh was also in the part of the people who went. And where was their mysterious nefesh coming from? Was it coming from such a high level or not? It, you know, above, above seichel or not? You know, I think if you think about the relationship between parents and children, when it, when a child is in danger or a child is hurt, it, it hurts the parents even more. Anybody who has children knows this. So when a Rebbe has to send a chassid and endanger them, it, it hurts the Rebbe on a level that, that, that we can never understand. Now, that doesn't take away that the Hasidim who, who watched this were inspired and infused with this tremendous level. And, the, and in other words, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive. For the Fiat Rebbe to send a Hasid to possible danger, and maybe sometimes to certain danger, was, was the highest level of Messiah Snefesh. It pained him more than, than if they would kill him. And at the same time, the Hasidim, the, the Messias Nefesh that they had is, is Ein Lashar. We could never, I don't think we could begin to understand and to describe what, what it was. Yeah. It's interesting, though, Rufki, it's interesting that that is what saved Yiddishkeit. What you thought would kill it because Maser Snefesh to die is actually what saved Yiddishkeit in Russia and what saved Yiddishkeit in America, because it was the survivors that came out who had given their life like this and were able to survive, or the children of those who had, you know what I mean? So it's an interesting thing that that Maser Snefesh actually saves in the end, even though it seems like it's going to, like it's it can't. Yeah, I think the Rebbe is really saying that in the Sikha. He's saying that Saf Kol Saf, it was this mysterious nefesh that obviated all of the opposition. Like, like Tip is pointing out, 
even though she didn't say this explicitly, but maybe part of what she was, at least I heard this was like, you would think maybe the Fenty Kappa would talk a little bit nicer to Lulav. Maybe he would help him a little. He wouldn't antagonize him. Like it's what you're saying, Esther. It's 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 this very tenua, you know, that he that he basically, like the Rebbe says, like he he threw his life before him. Like he basically gave up his life, and that that broke the klipa. That that broke the opposition. And anything less than that, anything al anything with with medita v'hagbala, anything with with cheshbon, would would not have done the trick at all. I would like to mention something else that uh, the, the question that Super brought up about the Friedrich Rebbe. Friedrich Rebbe, by nature, was very um, open and loving. It's interesting that you said that the Chassidus comes across harsher, but by nature, he was very open to the Chassidim and very loving. And that's I, I why I correct myself, Esther. I'm sorry, I know I'm because I, I realize that I need to correct myself because of what you just said. I, I think. There were certain. You're you're right. We're not talking about like you see the Fitzgerald's letters. They're very flowery. They're very emotional. They're very loving. But there's a certain. There's also a certain harshness in some of the letters or some of the expressions. So I want to say something about that. the The thing was though that the people that the Friedrich ever was dealing with the opposition was very different than the opposition in the United States. The opposition in the United States is not real opposition. It was more ignorance or wanting to us to be like everyone else. So we don't stand up and be, we're not noticed and persecuted. It's very different. But the opposition in, in Russia were children. They came from from homes and they they had a shitta. I mean, they never had to get a gun to protect themselves from Zionism, from the Zionists. I mean, they were threatening their lives physically. So you can't, it was, you had to deal with it very differently. With harshness, you have to deal harsh. You have to say this is unacceptable. But in America, you had to be soft because why not? How are you going to get everybody on board? They, everybody meant well. Nobody was out to like a bullock and a billow. Now, I, you don't want to say that I need in Bullock and Billam, but nevertheless, they did come from a different place. So that harshness was called for because there was no other way to deal with it. Whereas in America, it's very different. When they ever came to America, they never dealt with America very different. America's Nishtandish had a lot of love in it. It wasn't harsh. Yeah, and also the Rebbe actually the Rebbe was stricter in a way. He was more Gvoradic in personality. In personality itself, the faith together was very open and sugilazim. How do you say that? He was think. very, he was approachable. Sweet. Right. And it's so, you look at his pictures in America, it's very different than the pictures in, in Russia. The pictures in Russia are much softer. In America, you saw the outcome of the suffering, the stroke, the outcome of the suffering. You saw a different face. When my father came to America after. Um, it was after the Rebbe passed away and he saw the pictures. My father grew up first. His childhood was in the Rebbe's home. And when he saw the pictures of the Rebbe, he couldn't figure out, he couldn't come to himself because he didn't see the Rebbe. He, he never, this, he looked so different. He was always so soft and he looked so strict, so hard, you know, but it was after, here you saw the suffering and the stroke and everything. So, but by nature, I think that the times called for that kind of a reaction 
There was no choice. And in America, you see a very big, a very different approach because that's what America needed. So anyway, that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, thank you so much. It also uh, always seemed to me from when you read the the accounts of the Friedrich Weber in the arrest that the Re- Friedrich Weber felt very strongly like he needs to have a certain like stolz, like a stand that and and you see this when he's speaking to Lula, but you also see this in when like they spoke to him and he he like had this um you might say arrogance, but obviously it wasn't arrogance. It was sort of like he needed to stand in a way that they should realize that the that he was representing something that he wasn't going to be intimidated. And I always saw the way he spoke to Lulav as an extension of that versus seeing it as like a personal affront. It was more like, you know, what the Friedrich Rebbe was going to stand from what for wasn't going to be intimidated by anyone or anything. And I, I never really saw it necessarily as a personal affront to Lulav. Um, I mean, I hear where you're coming from, Tipper, but um, at the same time, it was more like, even though you're going to come with all this attitude, we're not going to bend on what's the the foundation of all of this. That's just how I always saw it. I'm just skimming through it, actually, on Chabad.org, because I remember, I don't know, I don't want to say like what I remember if it's not there, but um, I just thought I remembered some really harsh statements that I was surprised. But the other thing I wanted to say is that I remember also reading a, a story of the Friedrich Rebbe when he was a little boy and he's eating a watermelon and he doesn't share it. And he's given like really, really harsh reproach from his father. And I read it like I didn't have kids. It was like many years ago. And I was like in shock. Like, is that how you talk to a child? And then um, like he didn't do anything wrong. He just didn't like out. He did, if I remember the story, correctly, he just didn't like go out of his way to share his watermelon. It was like a watermelon, which I guess for me also isn't like the biggest treat. In the world. So then I when I put it together at a certain point in, later in life, when I realized that this is Friedrich Rebbe who had to stand up to the communists, he wasn't like he wasn't me <laughs> um, leading, leading a cushy like American life. He had to be tough as nails. So this is that this is the way that you raise a leader of the Jewish people. This isn't like a standard approach to parenting. Not to get too off topic, but. Actually, Tippa, I think that's very interesting what he just brought out. I think we struggle with that as parents. When are you, when, when are you, do you step in and show the strictness out of love, but it doesn't show itself out of love? I think we struggle with that as parents for, I think that's a very interesting point you, you bring up. And and I think that maybe the Rebbe, the Rebbe Rasha was very much into Hanachal Narapidakri, he was an only son. And he left the whole thing for the Rebbe, just in case if he doesn't survive, you know, how to be Machanach, this one son, this only son they have. So I think that ability to be able to have, I think it's a very fabulous lesson for us. When do you use this element and when do you, you know, when is it loving and when do you step back and show the gvura, but it's really through love and the child can know that. I don't know. It's just interesting that you mentioned that. And I think it's, a, I don't know how to figure it out for ourselves. <laughs> we have a little Hasida here. What's her name? What's your name? What's your name? Chaya Mushka. Oh. Hi, Chaya Mushka. <laughs> Say thank you. Bye. Thank you. Hold to everyone.
a wonderful week filled with every bracha. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you.